Hi, this is Mo Maduro with the Life Expansion After 50 podcast. In this episode, we'll be introducing the seven fitness areas, the framework that I created to have a way to talk about success principles without having to resort to the woo-woo gap or leaving things open to, well, the unit came from the universe. And as I keep saying, I'm not discounting that there's a spiritual component, but I do think that we need to understand the parts that are in our control. I love the concept of, I love myself and I am responsible. And that's important because the stress actually correlates with how much we feel we're out of control. And as soon as you put it outside of yourself, then you're hoping for something to come through. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And look how much anxiety. I mean, you don't have to go very far to hear about how much anxiety. They're talking about it at the church. They're talking about it on the news. I talk to therapists about it. It's all over. It's getting worse. And I think with artificial intelligence, there's a lot of benefits from it. But one of the things is we're seeing ads getting cranked out faster and faster and faster. And even if it's not a negative ad, you're still running an ad that's telling people that they're not enough as they are, that they need this thing to be whole. I also believe even with sales, having been in you know, sales for almost 40 years, even when you have rankings or incentives, those incentives can actually turn into anxiety producing as well. I know, I know people who are in the top third and they're walking around afraid to, that they're going to lose their job. And it's because of this ranking, they're not they're not first. And so the unconscious very quickly goes to what's, what's negative and what's dangerous and what's the worst case scenario. The framework, seven fitness series, it's not what you think it is. There's enough information and there's plenty of resources to get brain exercises and what you need for physical fitness and those things. This is really about taking control. In the end, it's to move from a have-do-be framework or paradigm for our lives into a be, do, have. And I don't mean to blame everything on advertising. I'm an advertiser myself, but we know that advertising for decades has relied on the cognitive biases. We've, it's relied on the unconscious firing and wiring, the associations. It's always been that way. And it's what the internet does and what artificial intelligence does is just accelerates it so we're bombarded with it more. If you think about the generation that's coming up, the Gen Z alpha behind them, and then uh, and the, the millennials to a degree. The second half of the millennials grew up pretty much with the internet, so they've been exposed to this anxiety. When I grew up, if it wasn't in the Long Island press, it didn't happen. Once you got syndication of news stations, then all of a sudden you found out, you know, you went from hearing about one kidnapping once a year, maybe, to kidnappings happening every week. And that really changed how parents raised children who are millennials. Uh, you know, Gen Z laughs and says that they were the last feral generation because before the internet, it was still assumed that, hey, a kid could go outside and play and all, play all day. They even had it in, uh, TV commercials that said, it's 10 p.m., do you know where your children are? And it was because Gen Z, they just stayed outside all the time. That's the way it was. Boomers too, but I think the Gen Z being raised by boomer parents and we got through it, <laughs> so the... The Gen Z is just, the, and then they turn over to the millennials and you've got syndicated news and then the internet and we know about every single bad thing that happens all over the world instantly. So for those reasons, I, I wanted to have something that we could talk about it, put it in the physical sense, or at least that you could measure the inputs and the results through the physical senses and not being rely on 
on the woo-woo gap, as I talk about. And again, it's nothing against the law of attraction because the success principles are the same. And the law of attraction is very much aligned with what Norman Vincent Peale was talking about, science of getting rich, even William James, what these folks talked about a century ago. It's all aligned as just different names. And believe it or not, if you look at Ralph Waldo Emerson's essays, they very much align with Proverbs. And he mentions Proverbs as he goes through them. Other philosophers, I believe, got their take on things by looking at nature because it is very fractal. Everything is atoms, so it kind of makes sense that you can look at nature and get some senses of what's going on with the human body. But they got it right. They just didn't have the tools to measure and see the brain lighting up in different things that led to the understanding that it's neurons. It's not a mind where all the associations and the conditioning is. So that said... I have the framework laid out in a very specific way. You have the mental, physical, and spirituals on the left side. You have emotions in the middle, and then you have relationships, professional, financial on the right side. The framework is designed to focus on the internal factors, the things that we control first, and that's, and that's the B. And then the do starts with the emotions, what we're going to do how we're going to respond. And then on the right side, it's the things that we want. You know, some people will talk about it as health, wealth, relationships, or health, wealth, and love. And I know that the health is on the physical side, if you think about it traditionally. But the other way to look at it is if you have enough finances, it makes it easier to be healthy. And that's how I had to uh, look at it to be able to set it up that way. And then the emotions are in the middle. And I say that's the gateway. So if you look at the, the right side, these are the things that we want. We want relationships. We want professional career, whatever it is. We want a certain amount of money. And all of these things are in the control of someone else. Now, when a lot of people hear that, they balk at it because they say, no one else controls it. I'm in control. But everything involves somebody else once you get past a certain level. If you're not hunting and gathering on your own on some deserted island, it depends on somebody else. And you could argue that a financial trader doesn't rely on anybody else. But there is another trader on the other side of that trade. There is someone else. And we could split hairs. The point is that on the left side, which is what we control, and the middle, which is what we control, and then by doing that in the proper way, we can then have as much as we want on the right side. So I'm going to go through that. So the first one we have is the mental. And the end of this, again, is transformation living above the line, self-actualization, taking control of your life, designing a life that you'll be happy to live and designing it in such a way or with a framework and, and strategies that you actually believe that what you've designed will come to pass. And that's a big part of why I wanted to do this, to build some certainty that with the right inputs, you can get the outputs and that if you're not getting it, it's because you've chosen to, to not pursue. And I'll spend more time at a high level, when you start thinking about what it is that you can do, we already talked about breaking down the woo-woo the woo barrier. We didn't talk about fear of failure and worrying about our self-image. But it's an interesting thing when you, and I use the word fractal a lot because you can look at how our cells behave and it's very much the way we behave. You can look at how the neurons behave and it's very much the way a mob behaves. Lots of similarities. And so 
a cell, and I'm not a biologist, I'm not a scientist, I get this from reading, and a lot of this you can find in The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. I I think he's the one who really started this revolution because he discovered some things about cells back in the 60s, and he's been on a mission trying to convince the medical community of his findings, and he's gotten some traction, but it's taken a long time, it's taken decades. He's got another book out, I think he's had three books, but this Biology of Belief is a nice comprehensive view and he's got a few additions. So it's been rewritten. And when he rewrites it, he rewrites it to answer some of the concerns or questions or queries that are coming from the medical community, because that's really his audience. And so it's a great book. I recommend getting it. It's on Audible. I recommend listening to it because it is a lot of information. It's not difficult to understand, but it's a lot of information that comes at you. Every single page has a great depth of information. One of the things that he says in the book is that cells, when they, that they move towards nutrients, just like we move towards food, and they move away from things that can harm them. But the interesting thing is it's a specific configuration when the cell is moving away from, and it's a different configuration when it's moving towards. In other words, it can't have protection and growth at the same time, very much like, the hum- like humans. We can't have two thoughts in our mind at the same time. A lot of multitaskers will like to debate that. But I think there's enough empirical evidence out there that says you can switch back and forth, but you're only thinking about one thing at a time. You've all heard this thing, you can't have fear and faith. They don't exist at the same time. It's why you, when you smile, the fear goes away. And if you take it further, the more time we could spend in positivity, the less time we're spending in fear. And the less time we're spending in fear, the less negativity we have going on. And Bruce Lipton also talks about how we create our internal environment. And because gene expression changes with our internal environment, that's important because we can literally make ourselves sick. So on the left side, we have mental, physical, and spiritual. It starts with the mind. I look at the mind as the first line of defense. This is where we get to make a choice. And we can stop a whole lot of drama from occurring if we make that choice and we're proactive. It's a lot easier said than done because from the conditioning that happens from zero to seven and then gets reinforced, and by the time we're 35, we've pretty much stopped pushing against it. Just like the elephant at the circus, the big elephants are tied up with the rope and the little elephant is tied up with the chain because that chain is conditioning them when they're little. They realize when they're tied up with their, at their foot, they're never going to move. They get to be a big elephant. It only takes a rope. And so we're kind of the same way by the time we're 35 for most of us, or for, I should say, for a lot of us, that by the time we're 35, all we're doing is playing out that same program over and over and over. You've heard me talk about this in previous episodes. So the the conscious mind is where we get to make the choice. The next one is the physical. Now, this one is really took some, some work because as much as I want to talk about it in the context of the neurons as being part of the physical body, which they are, right? If a person dies, their body's there, the brain is there, the nervous system is still here on earth, the mind and the spirit are gone. But because the unconscious has been called a mind for so long, it's very difficult for people to grasp that. So we talk about the physical in the sense of the internal environment and epigenetics, and the neuroplasticity is also happening on the physical, in the physical area. But we understand that the conscious mind is being impacted by the unconscious. So it does kind of straddle both of those. We'll work through that. The point is the physical area, you've got to be taking care of your body with exercise, taking care of your blood, cleansing the blood, detoxing, oxygenation of the blood, that's cleaning it, and, and of course water and, and a good diet. When you start thinking about how much your biology has to do 
with your gene expression and even neuroplasticity, it makes you not want to eat processed foods if you're still eating processed foods. Just think about that. Everything that we are taking in, and, and, and by the way, the brain is roughly t- uses 20% of our metabolism, and just to run our body is 80%. So when you exercise and all that, that's why you can exercise and not see much of a difference because you're using up 80% of your metabolism just to run the body. I talked about it on an earlier episode that we cannot eat and feel like you didn't eat for two days and why did you not lose weight? Or you ate just a little bit and you gained weight. Why is that? And it has to do with the body is taking out the nutrients that it needs. So the better you eat, there's going to be a, a better match between what you're eating and what the body needs. So now we've got the physical part. We've got to take care of what we put in our body because our neuroplasticity, gene expression, epigenetics, all of that relies on it. We can go even further. Now, I'm not talking so much. I'm not going to really talk about energetics because that gets into less of what you can see with the see, feel, in touch with the senses in terms of inputs and outputs. But there's a lot of momentum in the modality of energetics, and it makes sense. It's And the way Bruce Lipton talks about it is the biologists have, have embraced, some of them have embraced quantum mechanics, quantum physics. And what that has enabled them to do is start looking at the impact of atoms. Because up until then, if you don't accept quantum mechanics, then you're not looking at the behavior of atoms in the context of this conversation. The last one on the left side is spiritual. And I don't want to talk about this in a religious context at all. I've said, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe, we can have this conversation because whether you believe in a God or not, whether you're affiliated with your religion or not, it doesn't matter. The spiritual side I'm talking about here is the part you control. Most of us have an innate sense of what's right and wrong. And we also can be aware of when we're doing right or wrong. And we can be aware that we're doing something wrong and yet we're still continuing to do it. And we can even be aware that we're aware that we're aware that we're doing something wrong and we're aware that we're aware that we're not stopping it and we continue to move forward. This is why I go back to the mind being that first line of defense. The mind has the opportunity to intervene. Challenges, the body has been running the program for so long and 95%, remember, of the time is the unconscious running the show. And so what's keeping us doing that thing that we said we're not going to do? And I said right and wrong. It could just be something you're eating a piece of candy and you said you wouldn't or you're, you know, you're smoking an extra cigarette, whatever it is. The unconscious has been running the show for so long and running out the same program that the conscious mind is literally fighting against the conditioning. Conditioning and beliefs will always win over willpower. And the conscious mind is trying to use willpower and that's part of that's one of the reasons for this framework because willpower does not have the strength or the uh, stick-to-itiveness that's needed to overcome the unconscious. It's going to lose every time because all the unconscious has to do is wait until the will wait till the day goes on a little bit. You lose emotional energy and the willpower can't handle it. We know that willpower wanes with decision. They call it decision fatigue, but it's also your willpower that wanes. So on the spiritual side, it's it's about what you do, what you choose to do, and then this left side gets to what I call the powerful present moment. The powerful present moment is the combination of purity of thought, purity of mind, and the consciousness, which is assumed to be pure. Consciousness is one of those things that really there's no much, not much agreement on it being how you explain it. But I like to, just for sake of conversation, say, well, you know that you can be aware that you're aware. You're aware that you're listening to this. And now you're aware that you're aware that you're thinking about listening to this podcast right now. And you can keep going. I can do that 10 or 15 times of aware, aware, you're aware that you are aware that you are aware. Somewhere in that awareness 
lies the, in my mind, lies the explanation of consciousness for the sake of this conversation. There are things that you can do on the spiritual side, obviously, things like yoga, meditation, breathing, mindfulness. But that spiritual side, that spiritual area, is what enables us to have a buffer between the conscious and the unconscious. And that buffer is what enables us to start taking control with the conscious mind, resting that control back from the unconscious. You know, running the show 95% of the time, that's a lot. And so there's a lot of work there. So then you got the middle. The middle is emotions. In her book, Joan, Dr. Joan Rosenberg makes it very clear that emotions were never meant to be dwelled upon or ruminated about. When you do that, the emotion gets stored. Emotions were just meant to be fleeting, 90 seconds. You have the RAIN model, recognize the emotion, and you acknowledge that it's there, and you recognize it. You literally acknowledge, and you don't try to suppress it. You accept it. And uh, uh, Joan Rosenberg talks about riding the wave, you know, as that rush of the emotion. And then you have the I is investigate. What am I supposed to learn from it? That's what emotions are doing. They're telling us something. So we learn from it. And then the N is nurture, self-care, breathing, deep breathing, but just, just to get back into a calm state. But what happens is we're reminded the emotion over and over and over. And so it gets stuck. And then it becomes a feeling and then it becomes a stored memory. And once it's a stored memory, you're unconscious can bring it up in a moment's notice. And that's the challenge. So emotions become the gateway to the right side. The left side is what we control. That's the B, who we're going to become. The middle is the emotions. That's the gateway to the right side. Because if you get hijacked, you don't make, you're not going to have a good right side. You're going to be flying off the handle with people. You're going to be screaming at people. We've all seen images of those police stops where unfortunately people end up getting shot sometimes and you can see the emotion and how that person is in a, a fear mode, which is why they end up emptying a, emptying a clip sometimes and there's not even a gun involved. So that's just an example, maybe a poor example of emotions, how easy, easy it can hijack. But also emotions are powerful, right? That's where the fuel comes from. The passion comes from there. So we want to learn how to modulate the emotion. On the way to becoming a neural change practitioner, I learned this, that because I was one to suppress emotions, I thought that was pretty cool because I didn't have to worry about anxiety and all that. But what I learned is that you don't get to suppress them on just one side. You, If you're suppressing the negative, you're suppressing the positive. It's just the way it works. You end up not experiencing some of the best joys of life because they're suppressed. So it's important to feel emotions on both sides, but then you don't have to like wallow in it. You just let them pass through, you ride the wave, and you get to the point where taking it a step further, if the unconscious did not say that this letter from from the IRS is a real bad thing, we wouldn't be triggered into to fight or flight. And we wouldn't be having the emotion anyway. So rather than worrying about suppressing the emotion, I think it's more important to look at things like priming, what's going on with priming in the unconscious, and also retraining the unconscious to not look at everything as potentially scary. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the relationship, professional, and financial because that's your life design. And if you do the left side right, then you'll have that right side design. I will say this, relationship is about service. The more people you help get what they want, the more likely you're going to have what you want. And then that service is distributed or delivered through a profession. And to the degree that you're serving mankind and humanity, you're rewarded. And that reward turns into the financial. But you do it from a be, do, have standpoint. That's why I have financial last. Because when you do this to go after finances, you see the corruption and 
nefarious activities that can occur. But when you do it from the be, do, have side, the financial part is a natural outgrowth of it. So we're going to get into each one of these a little bit more in depth, but I want you to have that framework and we'll talk to you in the next episode. <laughs>